Ladies and gentlemen, just a word of warning. Mess, aren't you? I'm not very tall either. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Good afternoon. You are listening to Bums on Seats on Cambridge 105. My name is Yossi Osman, and today we are talking about a very wide variety of films with reviewers mr owen lamb hello lorcan o'neill hello victoria Eyre. hello and bridget i've forgotten your last name <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> that'll be bridget bradshaw hello. bridget bradshaw <laughs> <laughs> I, I was gonna call you bridget berry for some reason excellent start right so today we are going from detective pikachu all the way to wonderful film vox lux stopping off to talk about a claire denny's high life and uh, john wick the third so we're going to start off today uh, by going off to the land of pokemon and talking about detective pikachu i know you can't understand me but put down the stapler or i will electrocute you did you just talk did you just understand me I've heard rumors of Pokemon attacking people. Just doing some light stretching. I'm about to rock this place. Pikachu rock! I'm holding on to a brilliant idea. You hold the door. I'll go get help. What? Is this really happening? Don't worry. None of this is real. Nope. All of this is real. Run! Go! Hey, Tim. I don't float. So, we start off today with Detective Pikachu, directed by Rob Letterman. Uh, Detective Pikachu, as you may have heard, the very kind of, I don't know, he's got quite a renowned voice, hasn't he, Mr. Ryan Reynolds? Uh, may know him from Deadpool. Uh, he is the wonderful and very cute uh, Pikachu. But the film is all about Tim Goodman, uh, played by Justice Smith, who, uh, after finding out that his father, Harry Goodman, has gone missing, uh, he must go back um, to the city where his father is to find out what's happened. He bumps into the wise-cracking, adorable detective Pikachu and together they work together, together they work together, uh, <laughs> to find out what has happened to Mr. Harry Goodman. So Bridget, I hope you don't mind, I am coming to you first. Um, as I said, uh, a lot of people have sort of compared it from the trailer uh, to Deadpool because of Ryan Reynolds' voice and how he sort of, it's kind of wise-cracking funny. Is this just Pokemon Deadpool? No, no, and you can certainly see the the wit and the speed in Reynolds' delivery, but as a character, he's so different from Deadpool. It's a lovely film. It's sincere, it's charming, there's lots of visual interest. The plot is ever so muddled, but that kind of doesn't mm. matter. Mm. Um, and he's, he's just lovely as an over-caffeinated, sincerely trying to help out, but accidentally not doing the right things and getting very distracted very often, kind of uh, yellow furry, adorable. And <laughs> um, he is very adorable and uh, I think one of my favourite scenes is where he's crying and singing the Pokemon theme <laughs> tune um, and it's one of those moments where I was laughing but also wanted to cry with him because he was just so adorable how much does this film rely on uh, Ryan Reynolds as Pikachu? 
Or the character of Pikachu alone. Well, I think it relies quite a great deal on Ryan Reynolds's presence. I remember when this f- film was first announced, there was a petition almost, or a, a campaign to get Danny DeVito to voice Pikachu, and I can only imagine what that film would have been like. Um, <laughs> but been interesting. It would have been amazing, but a very, very different film, I think. Um, Ryan Reynolds, I think, just lifts this film as exactly as Bridget said. He, his speed of delivery, his the tone that he uses is that the right side of sort of sincere but it's not schlocky or sort of sentimental um it's great fun he obviously can deliver the funny lines um the supporting cast if you could call it that of other pokemon are a little <laughs> less interesting for the for, for that you know um so yeah ryan reynolds i really think lifts this one up so who here is a Pokemon fan? Who knows the franchise? Oh, Rowan's got his Rowan, hand up. Just Rowan. Well, only really from Pokemon Go. Oh, okay. So I, you, you haven't seen the first... Um, years ago, when I was a kid, that the, there were the uh, animation films. Did anyone see those? Go Team Rocket! Yeah, like, on, <laughs> like, and, and I kept comparing this to, to those animated films. Um, this is the first live action one, and I was going to ask, how does it hold up? to the Pokemon franchise as a whole, but Rowan, I'm going to have to come to you again because I think you're the only one that's, that really knows it. Well, I, again, I think um, it's a, a, a really great addition to... I know it more as a video game than a, than a show, mm. I'll say. Um, and I think it really complements the whole franchise, if you like, of Pokemon. Pokemon is the largest media franchise in the entire world, bigger than any other. Mm. bigger than Disney, bigger than Marvel. Mm. Um, and I think this is a a really good in-canon addition to that franchise. And the, I mean, the, the film manages to pull off a Lego movie and making a effectively 100-minute commercial um, <laughs> just full of an engaging story and uh, heart. There's like a surprising amount of like emotional yeah. emotion to the film, which is very much needed because you're in a world full of these uh, weird little characters. Um, I... As much How as does really that like match, it? then, the, the weirdness with the kind of emotional punches that they're trying to throw in there? Well, something they do quite cleverly with the Pokémon themselves is the actual creature design. Some of them are, the more intimidating ones, are very kind of well-defined. Like, there's Charizard, who's, like, very scaly and aggressive. But then you've got Bulbasaur, who is just, like, a big blob of cute with another blob on his mm. back. Um, and that, like, there's a very, like, in- emotionally engaging film with Bulbasaur, and it's like, they know not to design the cuter characters more realistically. So they use, they use the characters themselves for, like, the, a lot of the emotional weight, which is quite cute and clever. Um, the only thing I will say is I, I struggled to follow it. I okay. don't know how most kids will follow it. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah. Let's expand on that. Because yes. also, Bridget, you mentioned plot. And um, Victoria, you, you've seen this, haven't you? Yeah. Could you follow the plot? Did you find it easy enough for yourself, let alone the bunch of eight-year-olds that I saw sitting next to me watching well, it? Well, I, I think, like, I thought the plot was quite... Like, I didn't expect the, the Bill Nye character to pull, like, a twist what he did, but I definitely thought it was quite simple from the beginning, mm. actually. Um I know that um, when I was sat there, I was like, oh, this is a film I've wanted since childhood. And then it did do like a little bit of a turn. And I was like, oh, no, this is it just it was quite wholesome. And in that it was like, um, uh, sorry, it was quite wholesome. And then I thought like all the children around me were really enjoying it. And then um, 
literally they I just remember them like being really happy and then I was really happy what was happening <laughs> and then I didn't find it co- too complicated at yeah. all. Yeah, they do a great job of explaining exactly what's happening every time something happens, I think, just to bring the younger audience along. Is what that just happened? lazy writing, though? I don't think it's necessarily lazy. This is a children's film, after all, and I mm. think they do need to bring along the sort of the eight-year-old demographic isn't perhaps going to follow the twists and turns without having it explained to them. And this way, they don't have to turn to their parents and ask what's happening. Um, I think, yeah, I, I think that the story perhaps is a little bit convoluted, some of it is very obvious, you know, to a, to a more sophisticated viewer. You can see things coming from a mile away. <laughs> Such but... as the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, from the minute he's yeah. on screen, you know he's the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With the complicated plots, um, when they bring up plot points, you do remember that things were mentioned at the beginning, different characters and different things. It just didn't feel as fluent um, and, and flowing a plot as you might normally expect. Mm just sort of plonk together and what's about when we get to the sort of um crux of the film when the everyone knows who the bad guy is the twist has happened and now it's fight time essentially uh i personally didn't think that held much weight and i was didn't really care for any of those scenes how, how did you feel that was as a denouement to the film i thought i i was pretty entertained i think they they didn't do the usual superhero affair. I remember with like something like Shazam, where it's uh, mm. the ending goes on for so long, and it's all kind of all the CGI, um, and they try to break it up as much as they can. I think mm-hmm. at the end of this, I think it's like three kind of simultaneous action sequences happening. Mm. I thought they're all visually like pretty impressive and engaging. Um, there's a really great uh, Justice Smith, who's the lead in the film, I guess, after Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Um, he has like a really fun fight with uh, a character. Again, one of the many twists <laughs> he has to fight. Um, and they broke it up. It's I. They kept the humor throughout. And so, even though I mean, what's happening is ridiculous, but it's it's a Pokemon movie, so yeah. you just kind of buy into you it. At least to I did. You kind of expect the the kind of absurdity that comes with the Pokemon yeah, franchise, absolutely. perhaps. And they um, played on that. Yeah, and um, Justice Smith, who does play the sort of second lead character, I guess, um, Tim Goodman. I actually have no idea if I've seen him in anything uh, before. I believe he's been in Paper Towns which and um, the Get Down on Netflix, which is a short-winning series, but he did really well in both of those. I actually have yeah. seen the Get Down, mm. and I like the Get Down, so sorry, Justice. He was also in the most recent Jurassic World film, which I've I think also seen. I haven't seen that one, but it's a very uh, unfortunate performance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, how does he fare in this? Because he has to kind of he has to go against Ryan Reynolds' Pikachu, which is quite hard in itself, and also he's got to play this character that's got this very quite emotional, hard-hitting backstory. Yeah, it was lovely. He gave a really tender performance, even though he started out as a, a boring accountant. But he gets he gets brought up and in, brought into the world of Pokemon. And um, I think that the energy of Ryan Reynolds carrying him along on he's a really good foil to that. Yeah, not every actor can play against air, and he's obviously playing against you know maybe a tennis ball on a yeah. stick or something. And yeah. actually does really well. I yeah. think you believe that relationship. I you know certainly from the minute it starts. I think. You know, he plays to the animated characters very well, I think. 
Very good. Okay. Um, sounds like from everybody sitting here, we are fans of Detective Pikachu. With caveats, I don't With think caveats. it's going to blow anyone's mind. But if you've got if you've got children or friends who like this kind of uh, thing, I say go for it. And if you're talking about like films based on video games, this is definitely top tier. Yeah, by far. Okay, well that's a brilliant way to end the review. Thank you, Lorcan. Um, so, uh, Detective Pikachu is still in cinemas. I believe it is showing at the View and Light Cinemas in Cambridge, and it is a certificate PG. have a little musical interlude uh, because we are next talking about a very different film. We're going to be talking about Claire Denis' High Life with Robert Patterson but before we start, in the background you can hear it now, uh, we are playing the song Willow. No, The Garden from High Life. probably tell from this music what kind of uh, ambiance we have in the film High Life. Uh, directed by a wonderful, wonderful French director, Claire Denis, who did films like White Material and Chocolat. Uh, this film stars Robert Patterson uh, and is about Monte and his baby daughter who are the last survivors of a very dangerous mission and find themselves living in isolation in the outer reaches of the solar system. Uh, they must now rely on each other to survive as they are facing the oblivion of a black hole. So, as we can hear uh, from that little sum up, uh, this is in the world of sci-fi. I'm going to come to Lorcan, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, Claire Denis, she's a very respected director, and I actually think this is one of her first turns into the genre yeah. um, of sci-fi. How does she fare? Um... Not well, I'm okay. going to say. Okay, um, great. <laughs> even, I mean, right right from the get-go. Um, I mean, if anyone watches uh, the show Rick and Morty, there's a really funny joke about um, if you if you want to start your story interesting, start it with something interesting and don't cut back to three months before. Um, the whole movie's kind of like that. Right. Um, I think it's trying very painfully to be some kind of like J.G. Ballard type space ballad mm -hmm. um, but everything all the, like, the sexuality and the violence all felt very forced and unearned um, the the design of the film was odd, there's lots of like I don't know if it was deliberate or not but there's lots of like laundry vents just kind of stuck to walls like it's like a late 90s B movie like oh this is the future because there's lots of vents kind of sticking out of walls everywhere I don't know if that was a deliberate choice or if they're legitimately trying to create this kind of low budget charm um, and overall throughout the entire film I thought the performances were quite weak and the dialogue was the dialogue was just 
terrible and the <laughs> the deliveries were even worse. I could not believe Juliette Binoche was in this movie. I, I just could not wrap my head around her performance whatsoever. Wow. I'm going to have to break <laughs> down everything you've go, said. Go you've raised it. some really good points, but there were so many of them. Um, I've been thinking about this. Have you? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, um, oh gosh, where do we start? One thing you said about the sexuality, because there was a lot when I, I ha before I saw this film, there was a lot of talk amongst you know critic circles and on different things that I've listened to about the sexuality and oh gosh, there's all this going on. Um, did it? I mean, Lorcan says it feels forced. Was it a necessary part of the film? Did people in engage with it? I think I mean, the the director herself has said that you know she, this she wanted to talk about. I mean, we're getting it straying into dangerous territory here, but sexuality as bodily fluids and the sort of less about sex and more about sensuality, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and I get the feeling that it was deliberately not very sensual in its sensuality. I, I like the atmosphere. I have to say, I didn't really like this film, but I can't find any individual fault to find with it. I thought that the performances were okay. The sensuality and that kind of thing was artificial, but then so was everything, in a sense. Um, so yeah, I, I wasn't quite as negative as Lorcan is, but I certainly wouldn't say that I enjoyed this film. But everything about it was, I think, well done. Um, Claire Denis, she, I don't know if any of you have seen any of her other films that she's done. I find that she cares a lot about mood and she cares a mm. lot about sensation and how you feel things and atmosphere that that's something that i think she really likes to focus on in her films and that, to an extent you can see it in a film mm -hmm. like high life but lorcan and rowan don't i'm not sure you kind of leave kind of went along with that is it a sort of case i'm looking at, at um, victoria and bridget now of um atmosphere over things like plot or, or character development i 100 percent think that's the case i feel like throughout the film um there's not a lot of uh, companionship or humanity within the characters i feel like um the prisoners they have no commitments to each other and because of that you can't relate to any one of them but what you can see is this um I thought the design for the film was like beautiful. I thought it was a very well designed film, and like that could be down to uh, the garden scenes. They were like these most visual, like appetizing things, like down to like the vegetables, like with gently misted. It was it was really nice tones throughout, like even the spacesuits and things like that. But what it did lack was just the the human part of like the film. I didn't I didn't quite like that at all. Like, um, I loved it. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, what, a bit of contrast. What you said about um, mood and experience was exactly what I got from it, because these are people who, in a lot of ways, are at the end of a journey. They're at the end of their journey to the black hole. They're at the. They're, they're, they're all. It turns out they're all on death row sentences, and instead of dying on Earth, they've been given the opportunity to go on this um, mission with sort of un unclear goals at the start. And another thread to bring into this is um, the artist Olafur Eliasson, who worked with Claire Denis on this, on a lot of the design. Um, 
and he did an installation in the Tate Modern some years ago called The Weather Effect, which was really unsettling. It was like the sun, but not the sun. It was like the sun millions of years down the road when the sun's almost dead and, and it, it felt as a human, that it, it was a, a sort of human-related vision, but it just felt terribly wrong. And I think we get a lot of this feeling permeating the whole film. They're at the end of their lives, they're stuck in a box, they are at the edge of a black hole. You see some visuals which are just not anything humans were ever meant to see. Um, one of the things they say at the beginning is you break the laws of nature, you pay for it, mm -hmm. which in part was due to the taboos of uh, they have to recycle urine to drink, that kind of thing. Um, but it, it, applies, it applies right through. And mm. the difference between this film and some more um, shiny science fiction is the people on, on the ship, they aren't scientists, they aren't philosophers, they aren't poets, they can't express in words what they're experiencing but it's not over dramatic and you don't get people banging the table and going oh my gosh we're mm. we're at the end of the world we're all going to die ah <laughs> um they just they just sort of stumble through in this quite restricted way and i i loved it mm. well thank thanks cuz actually you explained it better than i possibly ever could have in terms of the visual i mean the visuals are are stunning and and really important to the film while while you were um while you were talking about that i had a couple of things that I was actually thinking about the plot in relation to that. So I have two questions for everybody. Um, one is that she leaves quite a lot uh, unexplained, let's say. You have to spend quite a lot of time in this film sort of pondering what's going on, what's going to happen. Um, did anybody find that particularly frustrating? I found certain aspects of it frustrating, but then as soon as I, or as soon as the audience, I guess, can identify that this is the kind of film you're dealing with, I, I found it pretty easy to sort of follow what was going on. I thought the production design of the ship's interior did an excellent job of immediately snapping you to whichever time period you were dealing with, because as Lorcan uh, suggested at the beginning, it sort of jumps around in the lifetime of this voyage and you don't immediately know where you are except for the colour of the lighting changes and it tells you where you are in time. The quality of the sort of finish of the walls, it starts to peel off and the ceilings start falling in and things like that. I thought the production design did an amazing job of anchoring you in where you are in the storyline. Mm. Um, so yeah, I didn't find it too too tricky to follow what was going on. Um, and then another thing that I just wanted to ask that I was thinking about, is this film perhaps then too ambitious? in what it's dealing with i i wouldn't say so um i i'm all for alternative stories and certainly film as a visual medium has plenty of opportunity to experiment with different things but one thing i'm really not a fan of is things happening just for a metaphorical or thematic reason and no direct uh no literal plot progression through actions um I, I find that very frustrating, and a lot of people, I think, are saying the same thing with the film. Whether or not it's because people are used to a certain type of narrative, but a lot of people, I think, are finding the film quite dull and boring because mm. there's not really anything happens that progresses the plot, and I really disliked the jumping around. I feel like it's just trying to trick you into getting some kind of momentum just to get you to the end of this two-hour two film, really. So what do we have, really, 
if it, if to concentrate on in this film. Robinson's jawline. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Oh, well, I was going to ask a question about Robert Pattinson because I do feel like he makes, he has been making some quite interesting choices in mm -hmm. his career. Um, and he is quite a focal point of this film. How, how do we think he does with this kind of unusual uh, genre and narrative? Uh, yeah, it was a great performance, I thought. He was very sort of subtle about it. And again, there were opportunities to be a lot more emotional, for example, when he's looking after his, um, a, a young, very young child. Mm, mm. Um, you don't get the any saccharineness with that, but there's still a, a lovely commitment between them. Yeah, I read somewhere that he actually knows that baby in real life. It's a friend of his daughter. <laughs> so they they had on set this natural bond that I think I completely agree with you, Bridget, that it comes across in the film as well. And to Victoria's point, it's about the only human relationship in the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it, you can see that this sort of like robotic existence is snapped. They're snapped out of it by the arrival of the, or he is by the arrival of this child. And interesting what you say, it's the only really human kind of relationship that this film has. I find that one of the themes, perhaps, of this film is something around uh, human nature against nature. Oh, Bridget, you have your hand up. Yeah, something that struck me during the film and the way the characters interact. I mean, they're not a team picked by NASA for this expedition. <laughs> they are individuals who've had difficult... Um, backgrounds and it felt like there was quite a predator-prey relationship they they want to be predators to each other but they're also so wary all the time in case of the things that might happen to them hmm. mm. um so overall i guess it, it, i'm finding it very interesting to talk about this film because we've got one person who really loved it and one three of you who kind of weren't as I say, I, I couldn't find anything to fault with it. I think the film aims to be uneasy and unpleasant. Mm -hmm. And I think, unfortunately, sort of succeeds a bit too well <laughs> in being unpleasant. <laughs> Put it on the poster. <laughs> she succeeds too well. Um, OK, well, I think, I think we'll have to uh, close it there, unfortunately. Um, High Life is showing at the Arts Picture House, I believe, and it is a certificate 18. And I didn't know there were films that were 18s anymore. I know. I, I know. So there you go, everybody. Take from that what you will. We are about to move on again. We're just jumping between the genres, guys. We are now moving towards uh, John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. Uh, let's have a trailer. Our service is still off limits to me. What do you need? Guns. Lots of guns. think you can take John Wick. You've got a nasty surprise coming. I've been looking forward to meeting you for a long time. And so far, you haven't disappointed. We can keep this up as long as you'd like. But this only ends one way.
John Wick, Chapter 3, uh, Parabellum. It is the third in the John Wick franchise, starring Keanu Reeves. Uh, if you don't know uh, much about the John Wick franchise, well, we'll go into that when yeah. we talk about, I think, when we do the review, because I know we've got a couple of John Wick fans here. Yes, we do. Okay, great. Uh, so, a neo-noir action thriller starring Keanu Reeves as uh, Mr. John Wick, the titular character, uh, directed by Chad Stahelski. Uh, this time, we are looking at Super Assassin John Wick on the run after killing a member of the International Assassins Guild. He is the target of very many people. Uh, and it is uh, an action film also starring Halle Berry, Lawrence Fishburne and Angelica Houston. So already plenty uh, to go on. Now, I'm going to come to Rowan on this one because I know that Rowan is a <laughs> fan of the John Wick franchise. Um, and probably knows more than, than I do about it because I have to admit I watched this film without having watched the first two Sorry, guys. Is, was that a mistake, Rowan? I think it's certainly... I mean, let's face it. These films are not known for their intricate story or plotting, let's face it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some neat little callbacks that you might not get if you haven't watched the first two, but then a quick scan of a Wikipedia article would probably tell you all you need to know. Um, Just what I did. Well, there you go. I think you probably... <laughs> I don't think you would have missed too much then. Um these films are really about the action mm-hmm. and the and the sort of I would say not exactly unique but certainly distinctive way they handle action with the fighting the gunfights all of that kind of thing that's really where the fun in these films comes is that I'm sorry if I sound facetious here, no, but um, is that because you are a fan of the franchise anyway, that you know what to expect uh, and, and you know to appreciate the kind of action side of it? I'm just looking to see if anyone else here has a, a different point of view because it, it, that might not perhaps be for everyone. I actually I, I watched the first and second one before coming into chapter three. Um, I think the first one's just the first one's just kind of a neat script that's very clean and just tidy. It's just like a neat little action movie. Uh, I strongly dislike the second one um, for its repetitiveness. Mm -hmm. It's just, there's no variety to the action. It is just nonsensical plot moving along John Wick to the exact same scene of him shooting one person in the chest, one person in the head, move on to the next person, repeat ad ad infinitum. So I really wasn't looking forward to going into chapter three and pretty quickly it won me over because I think they got a new writing team and for a franchise that's trying to be like a new The Raid franchise, mm-hmm. they finally start to understand what it is that draws people to The Raid movies and the the sheer variety of action in Chapter 3. It, every, every action sequence is completely different from the last. It's mm-hmm. completely different from what we've seen before. Um, it's really fun like what they, what they do with uh, all the different set pieces. Um, and... They even they even get some of the more popular actors from the Raid franchise in it in a very deliberate nod. Um, so I, I absolutely love the third one, which is a, the biggest shock to me. So I don't think you need to be a fan going in. I feel like a good point to make about John Wick 3 is that this is like a film dedicated to just the skill of that people can hold as well. Mm. Um, The stuntmen in this film are 100% incredible. They win you over um, with their fight sequences and they vary throughout like so well. And then there's um, the ballet dancer scene with um, Angelica Hudson as well, Mm. who still holds like this terrifying presence that I had from a child, like watching <laughs> The yeah, Witches. She still scares me. Yeah. <laughs> she has a great time in this film. Yeah, she she is obviously enjoying every minute of it. 
But there is, you bring up a good point there because there's a lot of talk about the simply the choreography of this film mm-hmm. um, and not just you know the ballet scene that you just talked mm-hmm. about but the, the action sequences and, and it does seem like everything is really well thought out in terms of how it looks how it's how it's moved um bridget you're nodding yes um the director chad stahelski started off as a stunt performer and set up a company with a, a co-director to choreograph stunt work and they started doing pre-vis films so they've got a really good idea as to what works on camera how to balance the action between realistic fight sequences and what's going to appeal to an audience and like Lorcan said that really dropped off in in episode two but three is just beautiful they use the locations so well they use the props you've got gunfights knife fights fist fights dog fights <laughs> not in aeroplanes so um, we say that um chad stahelski he actually is probably maybe the saving grace if the second one who who directed the second he one did he did he did yeah. them all yeah, 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 yeah. well that question's gone out the window yeah. um okay there's so, a, a difference in in music as well mm-hmm. F- first one um notably has powerful rock music over all the fights which make them seem super exciting second one it just sort of bubbles along a little bit and you can Mm -hmm. you can hear a lot more of the grunts and the slaps and so the fights the choreography seems a lot dirtier and Mm -hmm. messier i think just because of the audio yeah but then again in in number three they do a lot of variation on music styles level of music that goes in there so that's that also brings a lot more interest to it seems a little bit more perhaps sophisticated than well the second one in particular i can't really say that i didn't watch it but i'm just going off of what you you're all telling me um is there also an element to this film a little bit about it kind of knows what it is and it it plays that to its strengths absolutely i think one of the comments a friend of mine made as soon as we came out of this screening was that finally they've realized that these films are actually funny as well yeah um, yeah great the yeah. second one is not funny but this one has a lot of laughs in it some of it is sort of very dark humor to do with the actual violence that's taking place and violence and funny is a very very hard mixture to concoct and i think they manage it in most cases but outside of the violent scenes there are also some very funny moments um I also think that the acting is just better. They've chosen a better cast this time. Um, I wanted to just very quickly shout out to Asia Kate Dillon. They Mm -hmm. are a very talented actor, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing them in another film. Um, I don't know much about their work before this one, but yeah. Mm. That character was really interesting. The adjudicator, not named, but um, absolutely... um, yeah, a highlight for me. Yeah, and uh, Halle Berry coming back. Oh. I mean, the first time I've seen Halle Berry in the cinema in a while, I think, and uh, she was really good. And like, she's she's not afraid to get right stuck into the action with Keanu. Uh, I think one of the small drawbacks overall of the film is because you need you need the main star to have the film get released in like the Western territories. I think Keanu is getting up there, and I think Halle Berry was also getting up there, and they're. Keanu loves his kung fu. He knows kung fu, <laughs> but um, I think he's whenever he's he's up against all of these incredibly talented martial artists who've been training their whole lives. He does. There's a couple moments where you just say, okay, you're just waiting for the next hit so you can do your thing. But um, <laughs> it's not it's not glaring, and I think everyone does a really good job of just keeping the pace mm-hmm. really well. But with how the cast kind of go off each other, I mean, Keanu Keanu Reeves is the the he is 
the centre of this film. He, mm. you know, he. You can't really watch a John Wick film without Keanu Reeves, and um, I don't know. He he came across to me actually as quite a bankable action hero in in this. Um, d- do we think that he that he this is I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but that he is a good centre despite all these really strong uh, supporting characters. I just looked at uh, Asia Kate Dillon and just realised she's in Orange is the New Black. And oh, yeah. Yes, she is very, very good. Um, and with each, with each film, is it getting that they're just getting too strong for him or is he still quite a central point to this, is what I'm trying to ask. I think, well, I think in, in general, in, in pop culture, I think Keanu's just a thoroughly well-liked actor in any case. And he is dedicated. I mean, you see the behind the scenes of him, like training for the film uh, he's definitely very dedicated and I think that definitely comes across um, and you can tell he's just having a really good time and he's he's very keen for more I think yeah and John Wick as a character is not one given to monologuing um, so it suits Keanu Reeves's acting style I think um, he he's able to just grunt and sort of like give one line oh is that all he can do no though? I'm not saying that's all he can do but it's what he's certainly best at I think <laughs> I definitely um, felt that I was like trying to count the lines of speech throughout the film because yeah. there just isn't a lot of it and I really appreciate it because <laughs> not in a bad way at all but just in the way that you were so focused on the action scenes and then the speech distracts you for one moment and then you like go back into it again. Yeah. But then again that I think that comes down to it, knowing what this film is that mm. you don't really need a lot of of, of dialogue essentially um, that that's not what this is and and actually it's it's, it's encouraging that we all I think we all think um, that it's really paid off here mm. I guess my next question is can they top this Oof, who knows I read an interview with Keanu Reeves where he said perhaps before he'd read the third film script that he figured he didn't want it to go on forever and maybe a trilogy was enough but without getting too much away I don't know if these filmmakers agree with him on that. Well, if it, it's done really well. Mm. It's got very solid reviews from the critics. Um, it's probably going to make a ton of money. I wouldn't be surprised if there is scope for them to try and do another one. How would we feel about that? I would look forward to it. I think they're, I think they're going to definitely stick to the chapter thing. I think it's going to be one of the few franchises that might actually step, stick to a chapter format and then have like an epilogue at the end. Mm. I would imagine that with the success of this one, it'll go on for at least five. And I think, five? Yeah. It's going to do a diehard. I was so disappointed at the end when three wasn't the end of it. Because yeah, uh, that part of me died that I had the hope that he would be able to live happily with his dog and have a nice quiet life. <laughs> oh. Gosh, why did you mention the dog? The no. dogs are great. The dogs are fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Especially Halle Berry's. Yes, Halle Berry's two dogs are brilliant. And yeah. I don't know how you can make dogs funny, but they managed to do it. It was, yeah, really good. Any dog fans, if you're not sold yet, I mean, you should be, because, yeah, the <laughs> dogs are great. Um, okay, thanks, team. John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum uh, is still in cinemas. It's showing at the View and Light Cinemas, and it is a certificate 15. Bums on Seats on Cambridge 105 Radio.
also playing in the background just then, uh, we had the song Yearning from the Vox Lux soundtrack by uh, Scott Walker. Um, actually, this Scott Walker, Vox Lux was the last record before um, Scott Walker's uh, death earlier this year. Um, so lovely bit of music there. And we are about to turn our attention to the film Vox Lux starring Natalie Portman. Uh, let's have a trailer. It's a weird world we live in. And the way I've chosen to live my life... Please don't follow me. ...goes against some people's views on things. Do you mind if I get a quick picture with you? Mom, I'm worried about you. You're worried about me. All that matters is that you have an angle. It's simple. They wanted a show. I gave him a show. Lovely. So we are now going to talk about uh, Vox Lux, uh, which is directed by Brady Corbett and stars Natalie Portman and Jude Law, amongst others. Um, so uh, the the premise of this film is uh, it's a little bit of a two parter, but um, it starts with a very uh, violent tragedy affecting uh, the character Celeste, played initially by Rafi Cassidy, um, who. Uh, turns into a huge uh, pop star with with masses um, of success um, and and a kind of interesting talent uh, manager um, so there's a couple of themes here that we're going to get into um, I guess my first question coming to I believe Rowan and Lorcan have both seen this so I'm going to turn to Lorcan um, quite a tragic premise uh, to this to this film and it, an interesting narrative that comes from that one that I've, I've not really seen much before i don't want to go too much into the details of of the tragedy let's say um but how how does it hold up uh with with such a an interesting and but also sad uh center to its narrative i was i was quite worried whenever it started because um the opening sequence is very engaging but it's also very it's very topical and for me had the potential to be kind of exploitative mm-hmm. um but thankfully the rest of the movie it just the pace never keeps up lets up and it's a very intelligent film I think it's a very ambitious film um, I think this is Brady Corbett's second feature um, after Childhood of a Leader um, I think Childhood of a Leader I found endlessly frustrating because it was kind of like the childhood of someone who would grow up to be like a fascist mass murderer um, filmed and scored uh, like The Omen mm-hmm. which is I think is a fantastic idea but the film was paced strangely and overall I don't think there was a lot to it um, so I was uh, very surprised at Vox Lux um, I, I just kind of loved everything about it the music mm-hmm. Scott Walker does a fantastic score um, but even probably more of the music uh, comes from Sia I believe she wrote yeah. all of the pop songs yeah, in it she did. Um, all of those are great I found those really entertaining and relevant to the plot that's happening I'm usually not a big fan of Natalie Portman but she was absolutely fantastic in this film um, and Jude Law was uh, <laughs> um, 
Jude Law is really great as well, uh, but I think he's he's a pretty standard. Um, he's a standard. He gives a standard good performance. Um, one thing I was I was very happy with again. Props to Natalie Portman. I assumed whenever Natalie Portman's character grows up, because we start off with her character as a young girl when an incident happens. Um, I thought, oh, R- R- Rafi Cassidy's doing such a great performance. Like it's going to be a shame that uh, she's going to go out of the movie, and then mm. Natalie Portman's just going to kind of take the reins. But they keep Rafi Cassidy as Natalie Portman's daughter when they grow up, mm. uh, which I think is really yeah. again props to Natalie Portman for keeping that actress there because mm. she's she does do a great job. She did, like her performances varied between the two characters. Uh, I just I thought it was a stunning film. Um. So, sorry, you may have heard Lorcan lost his uh, trailer and started laughing, and that was all our fault because he said he didn't like Natalie Portman and the look of horror across the room. <laughs> I'm oh, used to that. I'm very sorry about that, Lorcan. That was very cruel. We all love the prequel movies, um, okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, w- one thing that I've been a bit frustrated by, I-, I don't know why, but I don't know if you've seen the comparisons here to A Star Is Born. Yeah, some people, people are going have, a bit mad about people it. People have really built on it as a as a thing to talk about and saying that this is like the twisted star is born yeah. or something like that which i think re- is really unfair to it as a as a standalone it's film. sort of unfair to both films they're yeah. not trying to do the same thing no um they might be touching on the same broad subject matter but i'm not actually a big fan of films about music and both <laughs> a star is born and this film aren't really about music i think this is more a story about popular culture or just culture Mm. you know in its broadest sense and what is and i think specifically american culture and what this film is sort of again i agree very intelligently talking about is what does it mean to be part of the culture in america and the tragedies at the beginning and the pop sort of ignorance if you like that it talks about towards the end i think are are really interesting contrasts um some people talk about it as if it's a satire i'm not sure if it's a satire exactly but it's certainly um an interesting mirror held up to the world um yeah i agree thought it was fantastic i i want to just reiterate that rafi cassidy puts in an amazing performance Mm. in this film she i think she's the star of the show natalie portman has a real scenery-chewing banger of a performance for the second half, but Rafi Cassidy is brilliant throughout. Um, apparently, Natalie Portman, some fun fact here, uh, uh, shot her part in only 10 days. Yeah, well... Which is quite impressive. Yeah. Um, talking about performances, Brady Corbett, the, the director of this film, uh, we mentioned uh, his... I think you said it was his first feature. Yeah, but his But his background, he's an actor... Um, and I'm just wondering how uh, how that might have influenced how he directed mm. this film. Well, I think he's with this one. He's definitely he's definitely treading into Michael Haneke and Lars von Trier territory, especially towards the ending. There's certain revelations towards the ending. Was he I, in Funny Games? Or he, he was. He was, he was one remake. of the remake. In yeah. The remake. Yeah. 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 Um, and he's so in I Melancholia. Think... Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. Brick. He was really good in Brick. Oh. Okay, so a lot of things are starting to make sense. <laughs> yeah. um, sorry, carry on. Um, and so um, you've even got like uh, Willem Dafoe uh, narrating the whole film, which is just a lovely surprise. Oh. And again, it just brings that kind of Lars von Trier, like, ooh, I'm getting into a strange, creepy story and I'm not sure where the rabbit hole's going to end. 
Um, and with regards to something Rowan said, I think uh, it's definitely very topical to like American politics. But there's another uh, like quite aggressive incident that happens around the halfway point, um, and that's more of an international thing. I sure think enough. Brady Corbett said the film is more about kind of um, uh, dedication to being an icon. I think yes. that's that's quite a broad, like a, a nice broad term that kind of yeah. uh, appeals to kind of the world in general. I think. Mm. And I guess there is something there about, particularly later in her life, I think there's some kind of scandal that affects affects her. Um, how, looking at how you kind of manage that while being a star and having this icon status, but also, you know, how you, you deal with kind of personal issues, including being a mother, um, which I think relates to a lot of things that you just kind of read about in the news. And you're right, it's not necessarily just an American thing, but that whole issue of iconism is quite an interesting one to explore, and particularly in the way that it that it's happened here. Um, I don't, I don't know why. I, th- I thought I had a question there, but I well. think I'm just making overall comments, <laughs> basically. Um, but considering it is a film about stars and and natalie portman is the star particularly later on um i, I, I don't know how much like how are we relying on this how it, there's there's so much there that relates to her performance and obviously you mentioned rafi cassidy mm. but there's quite a lot that's going on despite there being this kind of uh, well i don't know that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just thinking in my head. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a lot going on in this film. You can read it in so many different ways. Yeah. I think that's a, a testament to the quality of the filmmaking. Um, I think we just want to quickly mention Jude Law as well. His character is quite... I couldn't help but like Jude Law. Jude Law's character. You sort of see him as at the very beginning as this sleazy guy but then it turns out that perhaps actually he does just have the best interests of the teenage girls he's in charge of at heart and then he swings back again. I don't know, maybe he is a sleaze bag. Maybe you can be both. There's it's, there's not a lot of interpersonal conflict which I found yeah. interesting but the film still holds your attention. Like, it really the whole, does. Yeah. Is Jude Law's character not a little bit cliche because I feel like we have seen that sort of dodgy talent manager thing but that's what I'm saying I don't think he is actually oh, okay. just the classic dodgy talent manager he has actually got a heart mm. I think yeah very interesting performance okay um, it looks like we've, we've got to wrap things up because time is just flying ahead of us mm. but I just want some final thoughts from you guys um, uh, on the film I'm taking it that it's very positive yeah, yeah. positive feedback yes. um, I think it's my favourite perhaps of the four we've discussed. Of the four we've discussed, there we go, Vox Lux. Lorcan, do you agree? Yeah, definitely. I'll do this Okay, for you. well, sorry, um, Bridget and Victoria, because you've not seen it, but maybe we can all go see it together. They're, they're just looking at me blankly. Um, <laughs> right, so, Vox Lux is out at the cinemas at the moment. It's showing... Uh, it's on Curzon, actually, so you have to watch it online. Go on Curzon, though, because it's a fantastic cinematic service, and it is a certificate 15. So, uh, we have got to go, and unfortunately that is our last show for, I think, a month, because the next one is over uh, Strawberry Fair, so everyone's going to be there doing fun stuff there. So sadly, no bums on seats for a couple of weeks, but it has been a pleasure today to be joined by Rowan, Lorcan, Victoria and Bridget. Thank you all very much, and uh, see you in a month's time. Where are you hiding now? Hello. Oh.